welcome to the show. It is Daniel Wortman coming to you live from the Dream Imaginate Sports Studios. It is 9 a.m. on the East Coast. This is your 6 a.m. West Coast wake-up call in all time zones in between and around the world. Welcome to the show this Tuesday morning, June the 25th. Coming up in just a few minutes, we will have Lavelle Palmer, former Jamaican international and MLS player on the show. Look forward to uh, chatting with him in just a few minutes. Um, big match of the day uh, for, for anyone paying attention at all to the Women's World Cup. And if you're not, uh, what are you doing? Uh, great tournament so far. Uh, was the the USA and Spain facing off in a rematch of a match, a friendly that, that occurred a few months ago. And when when I, I watched that match and I've talked about it uh, over the last few weeks, that, that matchup and we even we even talked about it yesterday. Spain and the US when they played in this friendly, Spain dominated play didn't convert their chances and the U.S. against the run of play um, had basically a, a, an individual 1v1 performance uh, that, that netted them a goal and they won 1-0. to But I saw a lot of flaws, tactical flaws. This is, this is no criticism of the players themselves as individual players. We have the best roster top to bottom in the world this has nothing to do with with our talent uh, this has to do with our coaching and our and our tactical setup uh, as a team this is leadership uh, from from the coaching staff and I just saw a Spain team number one that was on the rise that was was on the way up as a program um, and I felt like they were doing some really really good things on the ball and that the area where where they were struggling was the final third. Uh, last week's uh, guest Jack Gidney that was on the show, we talked about this, and he was he was talking about how they they haven't quite gotten down some of their uh, pattern play movement in and around the box uh, in, in combination play. I thought in the match yesterday, Spain was really working on some things, and they were really close. Just again, was not quite there in terms of execution in and around the final third. They were getting uh, some some nice movement down the right right flank and were able to get in some diagonal back passes that, that just didn't quite connect with their teammates and the U.S. were, were emergency uh, clearing uh, balls out. Uh, it was a panic and uh, they, they were struggling the most of the match, the U.S. Um, were struggling. They couldn't keep the ball. Uh, when they did keep the ball, they could only keep it down the flanks. They couldn't get anything in front of goal. That was very dangerous. Um, and and the you know U.S. women come out. They earn a penalty in in the very beginning of the match. And uh, in Spain, um, you know press uh, Becky Sauerbrunn and and win the ball back, turn it back over, and, and, and two minutes later, Spain's equalized 1-1. Um, but part of the, the problem in, in that uh, moment was the tactical setup of how you play out of the back. Um, the way that the U.S. women set up was just very lazy tactically. 
uh, and that's on the coaching staff handling a, a goal kick restart. Um, you know, how do you, how how are your center backs supposed to be positioned? Where are your outside backs supposed to be? Where are your central midfielders in in correlation to your center backs and your outside backs? What is the timing and the sequence uh, of of those? Uh, um, you know, passes and movements and, and, and off the ball runs, all of those things have to be rehearsed. These things are not accidental. And in American soccer, what, what too often takes place is we'll, we'll throw a formation on the board and mistakenly believe that we have drawn up our tactics that, that we've drawn, you know, a pair of uh, center backs here. We're going to have outside backs here. Here's the picture. But that picture is only for a moment because you have to react and respond after a pass. So you really have to think of this as a kind of like a stop uh, motion uh, cartoon in a way in that every time there is a pass, there has to be a next movement, a next setup of the team. So the team is constantly having to, um, you know, shift their shape. They have to to do that in relation to the ball. And the teams that that perform this the best are the, are teams that are able to 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 be superior in possession, and they also put themselves in in better positions in terms of avoiding mistakes like the mistake yesterday that led to the equalizer 1-1 right off at the top of the game and that was all that's all on the shoulders of Jill Ellis that that's her lack of setting this team up for victory um thinking that we can just rely on having the best players in the world and we're just going to ride our talent to a title and the world is starting to catch up and they are they are studying what we're doing they're studying our lazy play and our lazy play is not on the individual players on the field they are giving effort i'm talking about the lazy play in terms of the tactics so those tactics uh nearly came back to bite us it was uh it was a rough match the u.s women's uh national team were were tactically um you know set up very poorly yesterday but they they've not just been set up poorly yesterday. I mean, anyone who's looking at that game yesterday and going, man, they had a bad game tactically. You know, it was just it was one of those days. It was just they got it all wrong. Go back and watch the other matches, even the Thailand match, and you're going to see the same patterns over and over again. This team is not tactically astute. This team is not set up to play. A, a possession-based or a positional play-based tactical system. It is set up to allow those players to go and play, and it is a very, very, very naive, loosely set up tactical plan. It's not very good. We just have superior talent. It goes to highlight just how good our players really are. Our players are amazing. So we don't lack talent. We have talent. T- Title IX it has given this country a, an, a massive head start on the rest of the world. And and we have been able to, to build off of that 
with with other programming to give ourselves a head start in producing talent. We have talent. That is not in question. Anyone who, who says we don't have the players is sadly mistaken. We have players. We have excellent players. What we don't have is a tactical plan that is on par with the level of the talent on the field. And that's that's a sad state of affairs because it's a very real chance that France wins in this quarterfinal matchup. And if they do, it's our own fault because we have the players to beat any team in the world. But we don't have a tactical plan that is that I'm confident in that that we can employ and beat any team in the world. And I think France will give us a game. I think Spain gave us a game. And I and, and if I'm a, a, a Spanish women's national team player, I don't leave that field distraught yesterday. I leave the field ticked. Ticked that the U.S. were, in my view, gifted a penalty in the 76th, 77th minute, where, wherever that was, late in the match, that that was not a penalty. I mean, contact on the leg, I get it, but that, that was as soft as they come. I mean, it wasn't a penalty. And, and so if I'm a, a Spanish women's national team player, I'm, I'm ticked that that's how they win. I, I was talking to my kids about this um, after the match yesterday, and and the thing that that I saw in the in the match is when you have a a team that is superior in in nearly every way except their tactical plan. Spain's tactical plan was was spot on yesterday, and and that's. That is why Spain was in the game, and that's why the U.S. were struggling so bad because the U.S. tactical plan was terrible. And and Spain is a country on the rise. And I've been saying this, if you've been listening to this show at all since since uh, the World Cup began and, and right before the World Cup began, I have been saying this. I will keep beating this drum. I With every match I see the Spanish women's national team play, I, get, I grow uh, more and more confident in what I'm saying. And that is, watch out for Spain over the next five to ten years. They are about to be a force to be reckoned with uh, at the highest level of the women's game. Just watch out. They are coming. Um, if you can't see the future, you are blind. Um, and, and in watching that game yesterday and talking to my kids after the game, I, one of the things I was sharing with them is when you watch a team like the U.S. play, they're supposed to win. They have more talented players on the field. They are, they are favorites or at the very least co-favorites to win the World Cup. And I understand that that teams will face tough tests in a tournament like this. I get it. But this team to win that way, I thought was very cheap. Uh the way that they the way that they won the match. Um they didn't play well, they survived and I get it, but it was self-inflicted. Um in in, in the way that they played. That that's on Jill Ellis and her staff. It was it was an abysmal uh, 
preparation and tactical plan for that match, but it's been that way this whole time. They they didn't play any different yesterday than they than they've played up until this point. What what changed is their opponent. And Spain brought it yesterday. They brought out brought out a bill, a brilliant tactical plan to go at the U.S. and knock them off their game. And and the U.S. showed they had they had no answer. And and so in the end they get a cheap penalty uh, kick uh, call. And and I and I honestly think if if the referee doesn't call that herself and goes over to VAR. And looks at it, she she doesn't give the penalty. But I I just think that she didn't want to overrule herself. That this is my opinion. No one no one has confirmed that. That's just my take on it. Uh, I didn't think it was a penalty. And um and I and I feel like if I'm a you a, a Spanish women's national team player, I feel a little hard done by with that. And and all that being said, um you know the the lesson I think Spain's got to learn out of this World Cup is the final third. We've got to execute better there. If we do that, um, and we start turning you know a goal every other game into a goal or two per game because we we start executing better in the final third, then um, I think you know watch out because I think this Spanish women's national team side. Uh, will not just be able to give the U.S. women's national team a game in the future. I think it could be become one-sided if the U.S. doesn't address uh, address their their tactical deficiencies. And again, I just want to state for the record that's not on these players. It's on the way the coaches set them up. Um, and 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 so I I think there's got to be changes going forward, regardless of how this this World Cup goes, for our women's national team program. We've got to have a better tactical plan than um, hey we have the best players go play, and a formation is not a tactical plan. Um, there was a lot of lot of of undisciplined play yesterday. If you were looking for a tactical plan, my contention is that's how they play. And um, that that can get you caught out, um, and 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 get you in trouble if if you've if you've not, you know, laid laid out a a cohesive and solid plan. So we'll see going forward. Today's matches, noon Eastern. Italy takes on China. Italy, another team on the rise, um, and uh, three p.m. Eastern, the Netherlands and Japan. Um, I. I think the Netherlands pull this out. I think they are one of the teams to watch out for as this tournament continues. Um, and I'm going to give a slight nod to Italy uh, in that in that first match. We'll see. But I, I do think both matches uh, will be competitive matches today. Uh, noon Eastern, Italy, China, and 3 p.m. Eastern, Netherlands and Japan. So we'll uh, we'll see how... See how that goes uh, a little bit later today. Hopefully, for our our women's national team, uh, we get uh, we get to a place where where our tactics uh, match the quality and level of our talent. If if we can, we we will be really really dangerous uh, not only for the rest of this tournament but going forward. Uh, if we don't, other countries are coming for us, and um, they're already coming. And I would say some are already here. And we've got to watch out. So 
Thanks for tuning in this Tuesday morning. We will be right back after this with Lavelle Palmer. Our sponsor this half hour is Dut Kick Brand. You, you can learn more about Dut Kick Brand by going to dutkigbrand.com and use the promo code DWSHOW to get 10% off your order. Again, that is DWSHOW to get 10% off your order. Check out their stuff. It's really, really cool and um, can help you if you're a coach, if you're a player, a goalkeeper, etc. It's worth taking a look at it. Dutkickbrand.com. We'll be right back after this. Back into the show. Thanks for tuning in this Tuesday morning, June the 25th. We are excited to have joining us this morning Lavelle Palmer. He is a former Jamaican international and former MLS player. Lavelle, welcome to the show this morning. How are you? I'm good, man. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. It's an early morning. It's always beautiful to talk soccer. Absolutely. Uh, give us a little bit of, of background. How did you? You grew up in Jamaica. How how did you get uh, connected with the game of football, the game of soccer there in Jamaica? Well, uh, growing up in Jamaica, football um, football I think is a way of life. It's a way out. You know, um, at the time growing up, I think football was on the rise. Well, not think football was on the rise in Jamaica because um, I fell in love with the game during the mid 90s to mid to late 90s and um that's when jamaica went to the world cup the 98 world cup in france the reggae boys qualified for the first time so um growing up in that era in jamaica it was so easy to get into soccer um because from that standpoint you know how popular the game was and how popular it was becoming with the team qualifying for france and also um just knowing in myself that this is my way out because as a jamaican kid growing up in in a rural Jamaica, you know, um, it's either you're going to be a scholar, you know, um, or an athlete. I, I didn't fancy myself so much sitting in a classroom, you know, um, so soccer was my way out. And as I said, with the motivation from the 98 campaign, um, it was easy for me to get into the game and love it. 
how much uh, of an impact did the reggae boys making the 98 World Cup uh, have on the country? I know you talked about how much it inspired you personally. How much of an impact did that have on, on the entire country? Well, I mean, uh, um, our our president at the time, our prime minister at the time, announced national holiday the next day. So I think that speaks volume for how much that um, qualification meant to the national team, to the country on a whole. Um, we had a public holiday, you know, um, after we qualified for, for France. So it was just jubilation. Everyone was excited. Everyone was into the football fiesta, the football fever. You know, and I think the entire country was inspired um, some great men, some great players, you know, um, they were selfless. They put themselves on the line. They qualified the team. They put our nation on the map. Um, so I speak for myself and I can also speak for friends of mine, others who played the game. If it wasn't for the 98 breakout, um, I don't think anyone would be flying this football flag so high in Jamaica. So of course, um, the inspiration from the 98 World Cup was everything. It's the first time we made the World Cup. You know, so of course, young guys, young soccer players are like, or young footballers, you know, the, the dream, it's more of a reality because we see guys who we look up to living their dreams. So it, 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 it influences us. It, 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 um, it inspires us to keep working hard, to keep trying to live that dream. You know, so it's a big, big inspiration. And even up to today, you know, um, if kids speak about Jamaica, Jamaican football, you know, we definitely speak of the 98 World Cup, you know, um, so... It's beyond an inspiration for the guys. You know, these guys are heroes. Growing up in Jamaica, with that inspiration, wanting to play and play at the highest level you could play, what, what was your development environment like as, as a young boy growing up in Jamaica? What did you have access to? What, what was your you know, day-to-day life like in terms of becoming a footballer? Well, day-to-day, um, it's... Yes, we have to go to school on a day-to-day basis. Um, we get home from school. Uh, we can't we can't wait to get home from school to go kick around with our friends. It wasn't anything structural um, at first. It wasn't anything structural. It's just a bunch of kids, neighborhood kids. Um, oh, it's the summertime or it's the evening after school. Soccer is what's happening right now because we also have cricket as a big sport in Jamaica, track and field also. So at the time growing up, we have sports to choose from, but my group of friends, they want to play soccer. I wasn't very much interested in soccer. I was, uh, I played cricket, but I mean, I wanted to hang out with my friends because as a teenager, as well, not teenager, but growing up, you know, a young kid between the age of five to 10, you know, going into teenage, you know, you want to be hanging out with your friends. You want to start identifying a group of friends. So the friends that I identified with, they were going to the soccer field every day. So it was easy for me to want to go with them. You know, um, it wasn't anything structural, as I said, until 1997 when I joined the Essex Valley All-Stars. It was, um, it's a team, a group of guys from St. Elizabeth, um, school kids, uh, primary school kids, uh, in, in America, I think, it would, what, what, what would it be? I don't know, between the ages of, uh, 10 to 13. Yeah, um, middle middle school, you know, you're like middle, you're, you're middle school. Six, yeah, seven, so eight, that's primary, yeah, primary Jamaica middle school age here. So between the age of ten to, to thirteen, I joined FX Valley All Stars. Um, we were sponsored by Hydro, uh, aluminum partner company in Norway. Um, they wanted to bring a team from Saint Elizabeth, a local team, to Norway to the Norway Cup in 1998, and. Um, 
they invited my older brother to be a part of the team because, as I said, I I was a recreational soccer player trying to be cool with my friends. But my uh, my older brother was actually a good soccer player. He's two years older than I, older than I am, Theodore Palmer. Um, they invited him to try out for the team, and the one evening he came home breathless. You know, and he was like, "Hey, bro, um, I have an opportunity for you." They wanted me to, to join this soccer team to go to Norway, but I'm too old. But I told them about you, 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 that you're a good soccer player. I know you haven't played at the high level or anything like that or been training a lot, but please go tell them that you're good enough and just make it happen. You know, um, and I went to practice with the SX Valley All-Stars one that Saturday morning. And I guess the rest is history. It was beautiful. Um, I started enjoying soccer. I started having a different group of friends, guys who it seems as if the dream is to become a professional soccer player, you know, um, like-minded kids now, teenagers. And it was a Friday, Saturday, Friday evening after school. Every player would, would uh, gather um, at the All Park Sports Club and we would practice for two hours. Saturday mornings, we would wake up early, eight, nine, um, make our way to the All Park Sports Club and we would have 22 guys uh, and our coaches there. So... In 97 is when structural soccer training started, when I joined FX Valley All-Stars on our way to Norway Cup. And it was pretty much the door open from there because after Norway in 98, it was Italy in 99 with Harborview. Uh, 2000, I made the move to Harborview. And, you know, um, it was just big things, you know, in the writing from there. So soccer became my life. It wasn't just a, a thing that I do past the past time in the evenings anymore, you know, um, because joining the team, traveling to Norway, having that kind of experience, you know, um, I realized that soccer was a big thing because, as I said, where I'm from, you know, it was just a thing to pass the evening along. But then 98 with the World Cup team and then uh, myself and the FX Valley All-Stars going to Norway and doing well um, in August 2008, when I got back from Norway is I, I probably say that's the day when I made that decision that I'm going to follow and chase this dream to the end because um, playing cricket as a younger kid, I had no opportunities to go to the, to go playing, you know, any kind of foreign country or any kind of league. And soccer did that for me. So it was easy to make the choice. And um, I've been loving the game ever since. Growing up, uh, obviously you've mentioned the Reggae Boys as a big inspiration for you and the entire country uh, of Jamaica. Uh, what what player inspirations did you have, uh, whether they were Jamaican or you know maybe they were playing uh, you know overseas somewhere that that you looked up to and aspired to be like as a player uh, in your development? Um, in Jamaica, the '98 campaign, um, Dean Swell. Dean Swell, he was, uh, he played for Constant Spring in the local Jamaican Premier League and he played right back for the Jamaica national team at the time. I don't know. At the time, I wasn't even a right back, but that's the guy who every time I see him touch the ball, every time I see him play, it's, it's like I'm, I'm glued in. I'm, I'm, I'm cued in. You know, um, I want to know. I want to see everything that he does. I want to, I want to be in his brain. You know, I don't want to just see what he's doing with his feet. I want to be in his brain. You know, like, how is he? seen it before it happened, you know, and then as I get older, Kafu, again, um, no, no coincidence that I ended up at right back because um, Kafu, when he played for Roma, 
was one of my favorite players. But as 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 I as I get older, David Beckham and I and I'm sure it's a big switch. You know, it's a big jump from Cafu and um and Dean Swell as a right back to David Beckham as an outside midfielder who crosses the ball and takes free kicks. But my appreciation for David Beckham is the fact that he works so hard at uh, perfecting these free kicks. You know, um, and for me, hard work is everything. I know people probably won't be able to relate or understand what I'm saying, but I easily become um, a big fan of David Beckham, you know, because he knew what he was good at. He knew his limitations, and he worked as hard as he could to make his strength stronger than his weakness. So I respect and appreciate someone like that who is willing to put in that kind of hard work to perfect their art. I want to I want to stay there for just a second. You 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 brought up a, a really key point um, that I think people often overlook. N- not every player is is built the same. You look at uh, in the modern era, the great Barcelona era in team under Pep Guardiola and you had Xavi, you had Iniesta in the midfield, Busquets. None of the three, uh, if if identified out on the street, are you walking by going, man, those guys have to be professional footballers. Um, and and yet, that, that midfield uh, under Pep Guardiola with Xavi, Iniesta, and Busquets was just mesmerizing um, in the way that they played. They played to their strengths. Um, how important is that for, for players understanding your body, understanding what you're what what you're good at and in maximizing your strengths to basically overcome any areas that might be a weak point for for you as a player in, in your development? Well, I mean, um, it is very important and, and, and like one, you have to take uh, that kind of first and foremost, it's an individual thing because Messi, Iniesta and Javi, I'm sure together they all click. Right? They all click together and it seems magical. But if Messi or Iniesta or Xavi wasn't doing their homework, you know, um, making sure that they're strong enough, they're feeling enough, you know, uh, passing, just a perfect timing. Th- those passes that they make during the game, they've made those passes maybe like a hundred times during practice. And also Pep Guardiola as a coach, we have to recognize and give him a lot, a lot of props because a lot of coaches get good technical players, good technical teams, and they cannot produce anything from these players. These players are like they, they're, they taper off because the coaches don't know. They don't identify. They don't work hard to see, oh, if, if you work a little bit harder with your left, right, it, with your lefty, you know, it would make you so much more comfortable when you're on the ball. You know, so yes, the coach and the player, they have to identify weaknesses and make it their strength. So together, Xavi, Iniesta, and, uh, and Messi, these guys, I'm sure their communication, their understanding, it goes way beyond the day of the game. You know, um, and again, you can't just, it's not just those three guys. You have to put the coach in the mix because the coach has to see it. He has to identify the chemistry between the three players, what would make it better, what to take out, and then just like put his own little into it you know it's like a recipe it's like you're cooking it's like the top chef yeah they take a little bit of every ingredient but they have to put a little bit of their own little style into it to say hey you know what being on the outside looking in this would what this is what will make it magical and let's go work on it not just go speak about it but work on it 
players, coaches alike have to work. You can't be lazy. You have to work hard every single day to perfect that craft. The game is hard work. Kudos to the ones who think, yeah, I'm skillful and it's easy. But in order to make those skills look easy, you have to practice them every single day. So for me, it comes right back to hard work. Yes, Messi, Iniesta, and Xavi, they were magical in the middle. But we cannot overlook the hard work that they've done on the pitch and behind the scenes. And also give a lot of credit to Pep Guardiola for identifying their strengths and um, making it, you know, working on the weaknesses, making the strength even stronger. Completely, and uh, and and I, I think that's a, a great point to make. Is um, you know behind the scenes, there's a, there's a lot uh, in in Marta this past weekend for Brazil at the end of her match, um, and I talked about this yesterday on the show. Um, her kind of exhortations to the next generation, and she closed her her comments, you know, with "cry now so that you can smile later," uh, which which plays yep. into that same. You know, same mentality uh, of what you're talking about. Now, you you started in your teenage years playing for Harborview and played into your mid twenties for Harborview. What was it like playing uh, for that club in in the Jamaican Premier League? What was the level of play? What was the league like? Uh, in competition, <laughs> etc. Wow, uh, <laughs> not so far. I I'm getting goosebumps um, thinking about this question because. Uh, for me, it's so funny, it's so awesome that in my teenage, playing in the Jamaican Premier League, joining Hard Review, I was getting an opportunity to play against these guys that just qualified Jamaica for the 90th World Cup. So it was beyond a dream come true for me because um, Lindbergh Dixon, Theodore Whitmore, uh, Ian Goodison, like we have so many of these big top players who I've seen qualify Jamaica for the World Cup and now I'm playing in the same league as they are. You know, it was at 18. Uh, <laughs> at 18, um, yeah, I was just buzzing, wanting to impress these guys, wanting to play against these guys, to let them, you know, to match up to see where I'm at and how much, you know, how, how much I need to do. You know, because these guys qualified Jamaica for the World Cup. I want to do the same thing. So every time I got a chance to play against them, I wanted to impress them, you know, because if coming off the pitch, Theodore Whitmore, you know, as a guy who scored two goals for Jamaica in the World Cup, would look at me and say, hey, good game, or, you know, um, I think you're a good soccer player. That boosts my ego. That made me realize, hey, you're on the right path. Don't give up, you know. So the time when I got the break, it was tough, uh, as in tough to play against the players that was in the league, but at the same time, it was so easy because mentally, I'm now getting information I'm seeing. I'm, I'm rubbing shoulders with the big guys, so to speak. So I'm learning the game from their level, not just as an 18-year-old playing at an 18-year-old level because I'm picking their brain. I want to know how they do this, why they do this. You know, I, I, I didn't leave these, those guys. Donald Stewart, he was a central midfielder for Harborview. He played a few qualifiers for Jamaica at the time. And I think he was my, he was my big mentor for Harborview. Because we played the same position, center mid. And a lot of times I was getting the start. He was on the bench. And at no point in time this dude has ever showed me a bad face. He was always, always in my ears. Hey, Lavelle, check your shoulders before you turn. Just like giving me small, small advices that would make my game so much easier. So playing the time that I did in our view in that era, it's, it's the greatest thing, man. Um, 
I got I got knowledge from some of the best soccer players that played the game in Jamaica. Um, yeah, and I wouldn't trade that for anything else. The importance of playing with older players and learning from older players. Um, you, 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 it's everything. It's everything, right? It's everything. It is everything. Um, for me, and I, I, I like Houston Dynamo was one of the greatest, 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 greatest moves I've made in my soccer, soccer in my football career. And we didn't win a, we win, we won maybe like three games that season, 2010. I moved to Houston and the locker room was awesome. It was the, easily one of the best locker rooms I've ever been in. You're talking about, uh, uh, Richard Mulroney, uh, Brian Mullan, uh, Brian Chain, Craig Weber, uh, yeah, man, I, there's, there's so many names. There's so many names. Um, these guys were, these guys are MLS Cup winners, like maybe two, three, four MLS Cup, these guys won, you know, and they welcomed me in. They showed me, you know, what it's like to be, be a veteran and how do you, how you treat the rookies that comes into the locker room, you know, because those guys, it was never about self. It was never about self. Every day it was about team. Every single day. Story. Craig Weaver, when I went to Houston to try to train with the club, I had trained with them in uh, Orlando prior. And I, as a young kid, I felt like, you know, I was beasting everyone around. They didn't find me, but they called me back to Houston for a tryout and uh, for a second tryout. And on our way uh, over to the practice pitch, Craig Weber put his arm around me and he said, hey, Lavelle, you've already proven that you're a good enough soccer player. Dom Kinnear just want to see you in the locker room with the guys, you know, to see how you integrate yourself into the locker room. You know, um, as a team person, as a player, as a person, you know. And I was like, really? He said, yeah, your soccer skills speak for itself, bro. And I'm like, all right, cool. And I felt like the biggest burden dropped off my shoulder. And I think that's the day I signed with Houston. And I, every day I give mad props, mad love to Craig Weaver for that. And just, it's the experience because I've been in teams and I, I, I'm yet to have a young kid, you know, who sees me as a competition come up to me and say, hey, you're a good enough player. The coach likes you. You're already going to be a part of the team. Just show that you're a team player. Those advice really hardly come from younger kids. Those come from veterans. And the time that I spent in the Houston Dynamo locker room learning those things, you know, it made me the person I am today because I realized the generation of the game is going to change. So you have to try to teach and impart the knowledge to the younger guys. Hope, as you said, Marty said, hoping that they would try to, hoping that they you know, would change the future of the game. You know, hoping based on my approach to them, the love, the attention that I show to them, they feel welcome enough, they feel comfort, comfortable enough to want to be a soccer player, to want to do well, to want to inspire. What did you notice coming into MLS from Jamaica in terms of the differences in the two leagues, the level of play, the standard of play, maybe the training? What was that from a player perspective? What was it like being Jamaica versus coming into MLS? I mean, um, Jamaica, leaving Jamaica, coming to the MLS, uh, it was always a different, you know, because the pace of the game, in America, well, the pace of the game in Jamaica because of the fields, the surface that we play on, you know, it's, it's, it's slower. Um, so you take your time, you take a touch, 
two touch, three touch, then you pass because the pitch is so bad. You have to make sure you prepare the ball well to pass it. While in America, you know, you get it. You can close your eyes, you touch the surfaces are awesome. Um, the pace of the game is is faster. Um, it's concentration. It's it's a higher level. Jamaica, it's um Jamaican Premier League. As much as we have guys playing for the national team or guys moving from there to the U.S. or to Europe. It's still a, a amateur league, so to speak, you know. Um, so the mind is not as fast as, as, as it is in the, in the state. The body doesn't move as fast as we do. Plus, guys in Jamaica still working a nine-to-five and coming to practice. So it's just a whole different professional level. Like, moving to the States, soccer became my job. Soccer became my job. It's what I do every day. It's, there's nothing else. Nothing else is important. Going to practice, getting my rest, game day. Going to practice, getting my rest, game day. That has been my life ever since I moved to the States in Jamaica. Uh, you have guys who, yeah, they miss practice. They show up late. They don't show up. You know, so just the mindset. Everything about it was, it was just different. It's like a whole new switch. I had to click it and stay in tune the entire time because you can't miss a beat. You have young guys, you have old guys who want to take your spot and who is good enough or even better. So every single day I had to stay tuned in and I had to keep working hard. You come to MLS and you encounter um, a little bit of a, of a you know single entity set up system in terms of trades, player trades, and moving around. You you started with Houston Dynamo, but then uh, you're with Portland Timbers, then Real Salt Lake, and then Chicago Fire. Um, did that part of the game, uh, you know, were were you used to that? Was that different? What what was that experience like? Kind of moving team to team to team, uh, back to back to back. Yeah. yeah. Um, so. Played for played for uh, Essex Valley for two years in Jamaica, in, in Saint Elizabeth. Left the Essex Valley, went to Kingston, played at Harborview for ten years, or eight to ten years uh, in Harborview. So, and I I knew of the MLS, but I didn't know of the single entity like you spoke about. I didn't know of trades and stuff like that. So, uh, moved to the MLS, and of course, young, fired up, you know, at twenty four. I, I thought I was going to play another 10 years. I was, I was going to retire with the Dynamo. Um, that's, you know, because I had just played 10 years with Aberview in, in Europe. I watch the EPL and, you know, you see guys playing with one club for their entire career. Um, so moving to Houston, that's what I thought was going to happen. And um, I, I would actually say I played. I played um, that way. I, I played. Like a, a kid who wanted to stay in Houston for a lifetime. Uh, my first season, I I was newcomer of the year for Houston Dynamo. My second season, um, went into preseason and I'm starting at center mid. Uh, I started 19 games of 19. I got a red card, missed a game against DC United. Two games later, I was told that I'm being traded to uh, Portland Timbers. Um... <laughs> Yeah, I, I still don't know how to like speak on that because I think that's where my entire focus, my entire, like the way I saw soccer changed. The way I saw soccer changed when I, when I got traded um, to Portland because Portland, I, I never wanted to go there. It, I never wanted to leave Houston. Um, I was in Houston getting comfortable. It's warm. It's like Jamaica. We have a huge Jamaican community there, so I was comfortable playing beautiful. 
Uh, moved to Portland. It was raining, what, four or five months out, out, out the year. Uh, I was miserable. I was miserable at no point in time. And, I, and it's, it's not a fault of Portland, you know, but at the same time, I wasn't ready to go there. I wasn't prepared. I didn't even know that this thing was happening, you know, and that messed me up. And my career took a downward spiral being in Portland because mentally going there, I never wanted to be there in the first place. So I'm like, you know what? Screw this. Why am I here? And I didn't ask to be here, you know? Um, yeah, it was probably two of the worst years of my life. Not just my career, but my life. Um, then I got released. At the end of the season, they released me. And I got picked up by Real Salt Lake. Again, I'm like, what the hell is happening? But I quickly realized now that, hey, this is the way of the American game. It's either you get with it, you know, work with it, or, you know, you leave it. And I made a commitment to come here to try and get a better life for my family. So I had to stick it out. I ended up living in six cities in eight years. You know, um, rough. But after the third one, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to keep moving, keep enjoying different cultures, enjoy different cities, you know, just, yeah, it wasn't really about the game for me anymore. It was just, you know what? They want me to move. I'm just going to move. If they let me play, I play. You know, it was just enjoy the American life, enjoy the American lifestyle, but at the same time, still work hard just for my personal self, you know, but mentally, I was, yeah, I was kind of checked. I was kind of checked um, after being traded so many times. I'm like, when am I going to find a home? You know, because that's what I'm accustomed to. Home and a family is everything for me. Yeah. Home, mother, father, brother, sister. Yeah, I grew up that way. You know, then Houston, Diana, then, then, um, then uh, Harborview, it was the same thing. Ten years. Ten years with a family. So moving to the States, I thought I was going to be in one city for ten years. You know, um, and when that changed and I started moving around, I, I felt myself started getting disconnected. And it was just about the game. And play the game whenever the game is done. You try to get out, you know. So it, it, it while it was good, it messed with my mental a lot, and I had to like fight hard to stay in the game. How um, how much do you think that that part of the single entity system that MLS uh, has and is 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 constructed uh, under has an effect on other players? I know you, you're talking about how much it. it weighed on you have you had conversations with other players in in that aspect of being traded and moving around to have effect on on other players you've talked to i i I haven't really had conversations with players but just being just seeing just looking from the outside in or the inside out whichever way you know it's the same it's the same picture um you could tell because i had teammates who got traded two or three times for, for the year. Um, recently, I was speaking with Matt Watson, you know, and I asked him, how did he do it? Being a family guy, you know, you had, you have, what, three kids, you're married, and you've been through, what, three, four times? How do you do that, man? Uh, finding schools for your kids. You know, it's really tough. It, it, it's tough. And to have a guy move today, you, you tell him last night or today that, hey, you're going to have to move to Columbus, and you have an entire family, you have school to take to think about your wife your you know um of course that's like i don't even want to i don't even know how to put it it's like it's crazy man 
it's, it's, it's crazy. And I, I give mad props to the guys who I've seen get traded with families and, and just keep doing it. Personally, I'm not married, no kids, and the MLS, I, I will fought the MLS for that right now because I realized quickly that moving by myself was hard. So moving with two, three kids and a wife, you know, uprooting your family every single time that shit is devastating. That, that's horrible, man. Um, and I didn't want to put that on anyone. And for all the kids and the families that's going through that, oh my God, that's, yeah, no one needs that. That's ridiculous. You know, so MLS needs to change that. That's one of the things that I think needs to change in the league. That single entity that you just move a guy whenever you choose to uprooting families, that's 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 cruel, man. We we need to change that. When you look at the global game, Europe, the Premier League, La Liga in Spain, etc., players have a say in in where they go, what they do. Um, you know, their agents can, you know, uh, structure their deals and, and if they, you know, like a Hazard who, you know, just left Chelsea mm-hmm. to go to Real Madrid, um, exactly. right? Um, the players have, have a say in their future, in their career, where they play, you know, in, in all of that. Um, how, how much, uh, do you think that not having, players in America that are in the American system with MLS, not having um, th- those players having the that same yeah, yeah. The freedom to choose. Freedom. How much, how much does that yeah. hurt us? Of course it hurts. It hurts a lot, man. Um, we, we, as you, you mentioned Europe, you know, um, that's, that's football. That's near the metro of football. That's where the U S want to get. And if you want to get there, you have to emulate this. You can't come with, your own thing, hoping that, you know, um, the U.S. should be better than they are uh, in world football. You know, world football, the U.S. should be dominating like the, the U.S. women dominate because the country is so big. You have so many people to, 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 to choose from. But because the interest, like growing up, Kids not being able to find a home and say, hey, you know what? I'm developing my talents with the FC Dallas uh, Academy and I'm coming through the ranks and I'm going to play for the FC Dallas until I die. The fact that you kill those dreams from the young, you kill the dream of even a kid wanting to play the game because for me, that's it. It's legendary. It's a legacy. Every single player who touches the pitch, who aspires to play the game, wants to have a legacy, wants to leave a legacy, wants to leave a legendary status. I think personally, I've done good things in my career, but moving so much, like the impacts were so small in each city. So, yeah, I mean, like you look back at it and you're like, oh, did I really do anything with my time? You know? So, of course, you want to be one place. You want to make an impact. You want to see your legacy being built. You want to you want to leave and you leave like a legend, you know, not move around like a, a, a puppy who isn't wanted. Like you, you have a puppy. Oh, I don't love him anymore. Let me put him back in the shelter. Let someone go pick him up. You know, like, no, you're traumatizing players and you will never get the best of them. Yeah, I, I completely agree with your, your statement there. And, you know, I, I think there are a lot of areas where, where, as a country, we've got to, to make some changes in order to 
elevate the quality and the level uh, of our play, of our system, etc., and uh, taking better care of our players has got to be um, high on that list. Um, I, I want to ask you uh, one one final question before we go. Uh, if if you could change anything about American soccer, uh, what would you change, and and you know why would you want to change whatever it is that you choose to change? Well, I mean, first first thing I would change is that uh, it's. You want soccer, football-specific clubs. You want owners who love the game, who are invested in the game because they love it. You want coaches in the game. Everything that everyone who plays the game, you want them to play the game because they love it. That's the first thing. But how do you get them into the game, right? You have to structure. A kid playing with a USL club, right, comes from college and he's playing with a USL team. I want to have a dream. I want to be. I want to aspire to play in the MLS but playing the MLS with my USL team. So I want to be able to help get this team uh, promoted to the Premiership, right? So pro-rel pro is definitely something that needed in American soccer. It, it will create more buzz. It will, it will create more excitement to the game. You know, um, I, think, I think that is, I think that is the, the first and easiest way, structuring the league that everyone has a chance of playing in the top league, not just the chosen few that they want to choose. You know, because as I said, you have a kid who's a late bloomer and he plays in the USL for New Mexico, right? And he wants to have that dream of playing in the MLS. You know, maybe an MLS team is not going to sign him because all they do is they look for the big retired names from Europe, right? When this kid is just coming out of high school or out of college in the States, you know, um, He's a good enough player. He gets signed to New Mexico or United. Together, him and his teammates, they aspire to bring this team to the MLS, right? And they play that way and they get there, you know? Um, and I, I think they deserve that right. I think they deserve that right. Not just to be put in some lower league and have your talent judged by some people who knows nothing about the game, you know? So let the game be open. Let the game be free for everyone to play and the cream will rise to the top, and then you will see a U.S. men's national team vying for a champion for winning the, to win the World Cup, not just for a spot in the World Cup, but also competing to win it. Uh, everyone, yeah. has to, everyone has to feel as if, oh, we have a chance. It's the only way. I agree, um, and um, I, I love where you went with your answer, um, and I, I completely agree with, with your conclusion on that as well. Openness, uh, accessibility is going to increase excellence in competition and uh, will, in the end, produce better quality. So uh, exactly. I, I, I definitely uh, love with your heads at uh, on, that, on that answer. And Lavelle, thank you for coming on the show, uh, t- talking about your story and sharing uh, your your background, your personal story, experience, both in Jamaica as well as in uh, America. We appreciate your time and, and thank you for coming on and look forward to having you back on again in the future. Thanks for having me, man. Thank you. That is Lavelle Palmer, and uh, really appreciate him spending some time with us um, over over the last few minutes and and talking through um, you know his his career his experience um just just really really fascinating to 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 see um you know 
where where his experiences led him and, and the lessons that he has learned and that 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 big lesson is in fact you know figuring out how to to open up the access so that anyone can rise it makes things uh better for all involved so thanks uh thanks uh to, to him for coming on the show our sponsor this half hour is charity water you can learn more about charity water um, by going to charitywater.org they provide clean drinking water to people all over the world and uh, you can be a part of that story by going to charitywater.org we'll be right back after this No one, no man, no woman, no child should ever have to drink green water with bugs, with algae, with disease in it. Bad water and a lack of toilets kills more people than all the wars in the world. We know how to bring clean drinking water right now to every single person on earth. And when you can bring water into communities, it truly transforms them. It changes everything. Now you could know that you'd made a difference. You could know that you had truly impacted the life of a family, of a community, of a region. There was either clean water or there wasn't. We believe in a world where every single person has clean and safe water to drink, and we will continue fighting until that happens. Welcome back into, show, into the show. Thanks for tuning in today. I uh, really do appreciate Lavelle Palmer stopping by. Spending some time with us talking about his experiences down in Jamaica, here in the U.S. Uh, sheds a, a, a light, I think, that we don't really see that often. And uh, looking behind the veil of, of MLS, for example... And, and the effect that that single entity system has on players and the fact that they're moved around and traded so often is, um, you know, has detrimental effects on the player. And, um, and ultimately, I think the club and, and, and a team, it's hard, it's hard to be um, a team with, with real chemistry and a glue when um, you feel like every day you walk in, you're looking over the shoulder seeing... Uh, you know where are you going next so thanks to Lavelle for spending some time with us really do appreciate him uh, doing that and uh, and sharing the light shining the light on uh, on his past again today noon eastern Italy China three eastern Netherlands Japan um, it'll be interesting matches to watch thanks for tuning in as always you can watch the show live at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on DanielWorkman.com we'll see everybody again tomorrow tomorrow